One morning this last week, I dropped our vehicle off at a shop for some repair work, and I was in a little bit of a bind trying to figure out how to get it to the shop and then get home. And uh, we were dropping off our van, and I, I couldn't arrange it for my wife to bring another vehicle and get me. And so I found myself just in this really weird situation where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get home. So I called in advance and just said, hey, do you guys happen to have a shuttle or a loaner car or anything like that for the day? And they said, no, but we'd be happy to give you a ride home. And so next thing I knew, I uh, ended up getting a ride home from the owner of the shop. Uh, He was very friendly, talkative. He was in his 70s. He told me about starting his business almost 50 years ago, and he's just giving me a bit of the history of it. It was really cool. And he spoke of how much he loved his work. I gathered that he had a lot of passion for what he did in all those 50 years. He pretty much loved every bit of it. He talked about how he had been happily married for decades, how great his life was, just a really enjoyable man. But it wasn't 10 minutes into our conversation that he said something to the effect of, uh, there's just really one thing that's not right. And I could tell he was a bit choked up having a hard time with whatever it was that he was referring to, this painful, hard, concerning thing in his life. And he began to tell me about a loved one of his that within the last couple weeks he had lost contact with, thought he was in another country, and this man and his wife were very concerned that this loved one was going to take his own life because of just the things that were going on uh, in his personal life. Well, this man was unloading all of this to me 10 minutes into a conversation And I'm a total stranger. I mean, he literally has no idea uh, who I am. He knows nothing about me. We've just started this conversation. All I'm doing is listening, asking the odd question here and there. And I think that conversation that I had with that man goes to show just how significant this need was in his life. Ten minutes into the conversation, it's coming up. And it's, I guess, a reminder to me that it really does not matter who you talk to Everybody has needs. Uh, If you could talk to the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, on the street right now, and people were just open and honest, everybody has things going on in their lives that represent needs or things that are on their heart, things that are on their minds. People have needs and are carrying heavy burdens and and weights, and no doubt you are as well. Um, I was having a conversation with someone here from church this week, and they they noticed a chalkboard at a restaurant or something, and it, it said, uh, basically, you are loved and you are strong. And uh, I, th- I think we see signs like that all around and, and such. And, and this person was just relating. Like at first I thought, oh, you know, I don't know that sign, whatever. But then I thought, well, somebody wrote that because they thought it would help somebody in need. And yet, what if, what if you're not that loved? Um, what, if, what if, or even the people that do love you, they love you incompletely and in fallen ways. And what if you're not strong? Is that helping you? Is that comforting you? Every person is a needy person. And Mark 6, 30 to 34 is a text that exposes to us all kinds of needs in the lives of people. Needs that you and I can relate to. Uh, this text not only brings those, those needs to the surface, but it also then begins to point us to the solution. What is the answer to our greatest needs in life? Can the, those needs be met? This morning as we dive into this text, I just want to highlight for you four ways that Jesus is the answer uh, to your greatest needs. And first of all, I would highlight this, that his presence, Jesus' presence, refreshes. Look with me at verses 30 to 32 of Mark chapter 6. We read that the apostles returned to Jesus 
and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Uh, There are certain things that the disciples lack or do not have in these verses. What's lacking in the lives of the disciples? What needs are represented in these verses in their lives? Well, if we focus on that lack for a moment, verse 31 explains that they had no leisure even to eat. No leisure. Uh, They can't even find a break to uh, grab a bite to eat. The disciples, in context here, have just returned from an exciting but exhausting mission. A mission that no doubt wore them down physically and spiritually. And they get back and they can't even catch a break to sit down and eat. The the people are everywhere, surrounding them, crowding them. The needs are great. They're run off their feet. What is it that they lack? Well, they lack time. They're limited in their time. They lack strength. They're limited in that. They lack stamina, another realm in which they are also limited. These men are finite and limited, just like you and I. They are human and weak. Can you relate to the need that they're experiencing here? Uh, Maybe you feel tired. You feel burnt. You feel exhausted. You feel uh, weary. You feel overwhelmed. You're out of juice. You feel like you can't catch a break. Uh, Maybe you feel like, I just don't have really much more to give here in this situation or to these people. Or "I I just feel like I need a break. What do these men need? They need rest. And in verse 31, Jesus said this. He said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And specifically, the rest that Jesus described involved time in the presence of Jesus. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Why don't you get away for a while? Go away for a while. Have a vacation. Have a little holiday. No, what he says to them is, uh, he does not say go away. He says, come away. Come away with me. These men need time in the presence of Jesus. You realize that fellowship with Jesus is the real source of rejuvenation. Now, the rest that Jesus described also, it did involve time away from the presence of people and from ministry needs. He said, come away by yourselves to a desolate, the idea is there, an uninhabited place, a place where people are not. It's also worth highlighting that Jesus says to them to rest a while. Uh, Rest is meant here uh, to be temporary so that these men can get back and and continue to serve Jesus in the future. It's purposeful. They they can serve Christ more. But they have a specific concrete need for rest. They are needy in that department, and at times you are too. And really, as you think about it, based on what Jesus said here, they have a need that can only be met by Jesus. I mean, Jesus is required for these men to have rest. He is the only one that can provide them with rest. Uh, And that's the same for you. You, Your need for rest is one that only Jesus can meet. Do you realize that 10 trips to the Bahamas won't do this for you? I mean, that sounds awesome. Which one of us wouldn't enjoy that? That would probably be restful in a certain extent. You get away from work or the chaos of life, but 10 trips to the Bahamas won't provide for you the rest that you need. Regular time away from your children won't do it. Endless amounts of self-care won't do it. If you could just pamper yourself and pamper yourself and pamper yourself and, and get all hardship and difficulty out of your life and just focus on you for a while, that won't do it. It might be really nice. I mean, truthfully. 
But the reality that this text is highlighting is that rest cannot ultimately be found apart from the presence of Jesus Christ. He's saying to these men, after they are physically and spiritually exhausted, he says, come away with me. Fellowship with Jesus is the real source of rejuvenation. And as we'll soon see, these men are not going to get this long extended time away in an uninhabited place, but they are going to get time with Jesus. So what does Jesus do for these men? Jesus provides his refreshing presence. In verse 31, Jesus says, come away with me. And in verse 32, uh, it says, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Uh, When these men launched away from the shore with Jesus in this little fishing boat, they were one in the presence of Jesus and two in that little boat away from the shore. They were essentially in a desolate place, at least for a little while. The boat was inhabited by nobody but them. Just these men and Jesus. What a gift. Jesus gives rest and his presence refreshes. And if you find yourself tired and worn and weary and exhausted, what you need is rest. And central to that rest is the person of Jesus Christ and his presence and fellowship. What you need more than anything else is the refreshing presence of Jesus. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that you have a special affinity for your bed. Uh, From our earliest years, we learned to love our beds. And in our teenage years, we can't seem to manage to get out of them. Um, I love, we have a two-year-old, our youngest son. I love at night tucking him into bed in his crib. He's got a pillow and a blanket in there. I get him laying his head on his pillow, and then I take his uh, blanket and kind of tuck it in around him. And then I ask him, I say to him, Colin, are you comfy? And he just responds every time he smiles, and he just says one word, comfy. (laughs) Colin, are you comfy? Comfy. You and I are in the habit of going, so to speak, to our comfy place every night for physical rest. And perhaps a, a question to go along with that, are you in the habit of going into the refreshing presence of Jesus Christ every day to find the rest that only his presence can afford? Jesus' presence refreshes. One person said this, I, I think kind of in a blunt, direct way, but it's helpful. Stop shopping for rest horizontally. We want to shop for rest this way and that way, and we want that trip to the Bahamas. We want all the self-care. We want all that, and sure, like that has its place. But really, our ultimate rest is found vertically with the Lord. What do you look to for rest? Uh, And it could be any number of things. It could be food, holidays, entertainment, uh, just going into a vegetative state, substances, alone time, your hobby, are those things, though, that, though some of those things may have a place, are those things better at caring for you than Jesus is? And do you think that you know how to meet your needs and provide refreshment for yourself better than he does? His presence refreshes. And how does that happen? Well, uh, practically in the life of a believer, it happens when we sit down and we open up our Bibles and we read his word and we, we basically are listening to him talk to us from the Bible. Or even now, as you sit here and we have this time of preaching and we're opening up God's word and he's speaking and we're in his presence together. It happens as, as you pray to God as an individual, as we pray to God together. Um, the, the scriptures tell us as well, when we gather with God's people and there are two or three together gathered in his, his name, that he's there with us in our midst. And that's refreshing. 
I find if I miss uh, church a Sunday or, or maybe just one Sunday, I can't quantify it, but it's like I've missed something this week in my life that I can't quite explain it, but my life is lacking. When we gather with God's people and we open up his word and we pray to the Lord, he's here in our midst and it's refreshing. Okay, well, the story continues, though, here in Mark chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 33. All is going really, really well up to this point. And then in verse 33, we read, Now many saw them, Jesus and the disciples, going, and they recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. Can you imagine what's, I mean, this is great, and now it just went sideways. Things have just gone completely sideways. We're not told the precise destination of Jesus and the twelve as they hop into the boat, but it seems like they're maybe going uh, kind of from one side of the lake to an adjacent side and perhaps cutting off the corner or sailing around uh, the edge of the lake to get to go from one side to the other. And next thing you know, some people, like a lot of people, spot them. And these people start running around the lake by hundreds and by thousands. And these people get to this this uninhabited place before the boat does. And as these people are running around the lake, they're picking up people from village after village all along the way. And in the end, there's this group of people waiting on the shore for Jesus and the disciples that consists of 5,000 men. Uh, That number's not including the women and the children. So this group, we don't know its exact number, but it may be 10, 15, 20,000 people strong. The city of Beaumont is around 20,000 people. Can you imagine if half of our, the city of Beaumont here or the entire city of Beaumont showed up for an event? That's the size of this group. And as all of this unfolds, I can only imagine what, if, what I would be doing if I was a disciple. I, I'm not always the godliest person in the world. And maybe I'm Peter on this boat that day, and I'm probably putting my face in my hands, and maybe I start crying like, this has been great, and this is awful all at the same Like, can we ever catch a break? Or if I'm James or John, maybe I, I'm like the solution guy here. Hey, um, if we kind of sneak into this other group of boats, and then if we go to the other side of the lake, maybe we'll lose them. And we can find our uninhabited place, and we can have our rest, and this, that, and the other. Maybe I don't care much about these people, or not as much as I should. I just want my break. And maybe these people are starting to become a nuisance, an inconvenience, an obstacle to my rest, to my comfort, and the things that I want. I think that that is the natural human response. And you would think that perhaps in this moment, Jesus might be annoyed. But he's not. In fact, he's not annoyed in the slightest. Next, we see a second way that Jesus is the answer to your needs. And that is that his compassion overflows. Look with me at verse 34. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. There is something here that the crowd (coughs) lacks or does not have in these verses. What is lacking in the lives of this, this group of people that ran all the way around the lake? 
What needs are represented in their lives in these verses? Let's talk about that lack for a moment. Verse 34 says that this great crowd of people were like sheep without a shepherd. The disciples have no leisure, and this crowd has no shepherd. They lack a shepherd who will care for him. Their lives are full of all kinds of needs, practical and spiritual. Many of these needs they might not even see or realize. It's a massive group, and yet this massive group of people is made up of hundreds and thousands of individual people with individual needs and things lacking in each one of their individual lives. And maybe you feel like you could relate to that a bit. You are one person in the midst of a massive world. Does anybody see you? Does anybody care? Do you feel like you need someone to pour care into your life, to to bandage up your wounds and nurse your wounds, to just listen to you talk and just unload and pour out whatever it is that's on your heart? Someone to make time for you and so on? What is the need? The great crowd needs to be cared for. Each one of these individuals needs attention. They each need personal care. And yet, they're sheep. None of them can just provide that care for themselves. You can't either. You're needy. Have you ever had a physician that really took time with you? And that physician talked to you? That that physician didn't give you the impression that they were just super rushed to get out the door and move on to the next person, but they were giving you their time and attention. They explained things to you. If you had questions, they answered those questions, and they conveyed to you that they legitimately cared. If you get a physician like that, you're so thankful for that person. If you find a family doctor like that, I want to keep that doctor for years. It's so nice. No one wants to go into the medical system. I feel like you're just a a number. You're you're in this massive herd of cattle just being uh, shuttled through the system and through the gates and out the door. You don't want to feel like you're a number or a nuisance or an inconvenience to be dealt with as quickly as possible. Uh, No, what you long for is to be cared for. And there are 10, 15, 20,000 individual people or sheep here standing before Jesus and they're all waiting for his care and his attention. And how does he respond? Well, Jesus provides his overflowing compassion towards these people. Uh, Verse 34, if you look there again, it says, "When when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Um, If we just slow down and look at that verse uh, in a little bit more uh, nuance, there's really a beautiful progression in this story that the progression moves from the eyes of Jesus to the heart of Jesus to the hands of Jesus. Do you see that in the verse? Jesus sees your need with his eyes. Jesus sees this massive group of people. And Jesus sees you. And Jesus sees here a reality, actually, that nobody else is even seeing. These people might not even be seeing that they are sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees them and he notices these things. And Jesus as well sees your need, even if other people do not. Jesus sees your need with his eyes, but it doesn't just stay there with Jesus' eyes. That's where it starts. He sees this group of people. 
And Jesus is moved with compassion in his heart. What he sees touches his heart. And he's feeling here what nobody else is feeling. He's filled with compassion. And that's how he is with you. He cares about you. But it doesn't stop there either. It starts with his eyes and and then goes to his heart. But then we see his hand. Jesus meets your needs with his hand. Jesus meets the needs that nobody else can meet. And we'll see him do that here in the rest of the story. But that's Jesus. He's overflowing with compassion. His compassion overflows, and it overflows to you. He's the answer to your grief. He's the answer to your pain. He is a good shepherd. There's a third way that Jesus is the answer to your needs, and that is that his truth shepherds. Look back at verse 34. It says, When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd. He had compassion on them. And then we have this explanation for that, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. There's something very specific that this crowd lacks and does not have related to this idea that they are sheep without a shepherd. Shepherds not only care for sheep, that's one of the things that comes to our mind when we think about shepherds, they care, right? But shepherds also lead sheep. And in the Old Testament, as this shepherd theme is used again and again and again, it's often used specifically as an image of leadership. What's the lack here in this verse? Well, without a shepherd, the great crowd, they lack leadership. They lack direction. They lack purpose. They lack stability in their lives. These people are aimless, directionless sheep without a shepherd to lead them along. Without a shepherd, sheep are in grave danger. Without a leader... Without something to lead people, they too are in grave danger. People are like sheep in deep spiritual peril. Maybe as you look at your life, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, What you sense and feel and the needs that are there in your own life, maybe you feel like you don't know what to do next. I mean, I've got some decisions to make. What do I do? I don't know. Or you feel like you're not sure what wisdom looks like in this particular situation. Does it look like this? Does it look like that? You're not sure how to resolve a problem. You have some massive decision to make. Or maybe you're the leader. You're the one that's supposed to know what to do. And I don't know. This great crowd needs to be led. It needs leadership. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They might not even realize that they don't know those things. They don't know how they're supposed to live their lives. And none of them can just meet this for themselves. All of a sudden, just look within. And here's this great direction bubbling up from within. They can't meet this need in their own lives. And you can't either. You need leadership. You need to be led. You need direction. And so what specific thing does Jesus do when he sees that need for leadership? He goes, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. What's the solution that Jesus provides? Jesus provides his shepherding truth. Verse 34, right after this this statement of they're like sheep without a shepherd, what's the next thing Jesus does? It says that he began to teach them many things. Jesus spoke the truth of the kingdom of God into these people's lives. It's truth to guide them, truth to shepherd them, truth to lead them. You too lack direction and leadership and Jesus has spoken in such a way as to provide that for you. 
Jesus has provided his shepherding truth. He's given you his word. He has spoken just like he did for these people. Several years ago, my sister graduated from university and I needed to make my way through Chicago to get to her university graduation. I don't know if you've ever driven through Chicago, but Chicago has like overpasses stacked on top of overpasses stacked on top of overpasses. I live a little bit like out in the country. I just drive into Edmonton and I start to feel a little bit stressed. You know, I'm in Chicago in this massive maze of roads. It's a stressful place to drive. And I really had no idea how to navigate my way through it. I had never personally driven through it before. And at moments, it's like you take one exit, and then you've got 500 meters to cross eight lanes of traffic and take another one. And one wrong turn or missed exit in that maze, and you find yourself experiencing significant setbacks, and now you're trying to reorient yourself as traffic continues to move. And I'm hitting Chicago right at rush hour. This was the days before um, smartphones, or at least before I had one. But thankfully, at the time, I did have a Garmin GPS suction cup there on my front windshield. I was so thankful for that thing. Because what it did, it guided me every single step of the way, like heads up before I get there, every single step, every single turn, one step at at a time around every single one of those turns, I would have never made it through Chicago in any type of timely manner without that GPS. Life sometimes reminds me a little bit of Chicago. It's crazy, it's intense, it's unpredictable, it's busy. You make a wrong turn over here, you get into this accident, and you find yourself in a whole world of hurt and mess and setback. You need guidance through life. And God has given you something that's far better than any map and far better than any GPS system. God has given you his word to lead you, to shepherd you, and to guide you all the way from the cradle, all the way through to the grave. When Jesus sees these people as sheep without a shepherd, he speaks the truth into their lives. He speaks his word to them. And he's done the same for you. Jesus' truth shepherds. And he has given it to you to meet the needs of your life, but you've got to use it. We have this awesome guidebook full of truth. And we need to read it and study it and shape and build our lives on it. We've seen three ways thus far that Jesus is the answer to your needs. And I think the, the second one had to do with Jesus' compassion. Now that's awesome. I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus is full of compassion? That's great. But it's going to take a whole lot more than compassion to meet the growing needs in the lives of these people. Oh, that's so nice. He cares. Wonderful. So glad somebody cares about me. Can you fix the problem? (laughs) That's really wonderful, but I need you to do something for me. There is a fourth way that Jesus is the answer to your needs. His power supplies. And here we are now into the feeding of the 5,000. Look at verses 35 to 38. And when it grew late... So Jesus has been teaching these people. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? 
Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Okay, let's look at these verses and ask the same question we've been asking about the people in these verses. What is it that they lack or that they do not have? What's lacking in the lives of the crowd? And not just the lives of the crowd. What about the disciples? What do they lack? What needs are represented in these verses? Well, as we think about the lack, the great crowd lacks food. They don't have any food. Uh, And the disciples, what do they lack? Well, they lack the financial resources to meet this need, but it's actually worse than that. It's not just something monetary. It's not just a resource like that that they lack. They also lack a ministry mindset and heart for the setting that Jesus has placed them in. There's something in their character that's needed and lacking. And so why don't we examine each of these a bit further. The crowd, we see, lacks nourishment. In verses 35 to 36, the disciples mention that to Jesus, almost like, you know, they're really caring. These people have physically exerted themselves to get here. Many of them have run around the lake. It's been a hot day. The text mentions specifically that there's green grass, so maybe it's springtime or summertime. It's probably been warm and hot. These people have been sitting out in the sun as Jesus is taught. It's getting late, and they're in an uninhabited place without food. Babies are probably crying. Toddlers are beginning to just lose their brains out there in the heat. It's time to wrap things up. We need to send these people away now so that they have time. I mean, there's no McDonald's here. Like, these people need to start heading home, and they need to hit the villages on the way, and maybe they'll be able to find some food. Maybe there's five to 10 to 20,000 people worth of food out there in these little villages at this time of day. Maybe. The crisis is rapidly escalating. And we see that the disciples lack the needed resources to feed the crowd. In verse 37, you know, the disciples have this suggestion. And Jesus tells the disciples, no, 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 you give them something to eat. And the disciples respond, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them food to eat? The denarius, the basic Roman silver coin used in Palestine, was the average daily wage for a farm laborer. You work one day... All day in the sun, you get a denarius. So what we're talking about here is basically, you put it in perspective, it would take 8 to 12 months of a working man's wages to feed this massive crowd. The disciples don't have that kind of money. At least, certainly not on them. The substantial cost highlights the magnitude of the problem here. And Jesus then asked them, after they make this remark, what do, what do you want us to do? Go like... And Jesus then says to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they do that, they report back, and they say, we have five and we have two fish. Basically, one person's meal or lunch. They don't have the resources. But as I mentioned, it's worse than that. They don't have the Christ-likeness demanded by the moment. The disciples lack the needed ministry mindset and heart for for what this moment has demanded of them. Here's Jesus. He's full of compassion towards these people. He's selfless. He's all in. And these men appear to be struggling. The compassion perhaps doesn't exist. Their patience may be gone at this point. They stand in stark contrast to Jesus. Here's Jesus. And here's the disciples. 
Can you relate to any of these needs that we've just looked at? Do you have physical needs that need addressed? Do you have spiritual needs that need attention, aspects of your character that aren't what Jesus wants them to be? What about you in the moment of ministry need? How do you respond in that moment? Are you self-focused and self-absorbed? The crowd needs food, the disciples need financial resources, and they need a changed heart. Basically, what does everyone in this story need? Everyone needs a miracle. Because none of these people can meet the needs that are being exposed in their lives, whether they be monetary and physical or whether they be transformation within. And you can't meet those needs either. You and I are needy, needy people. The people can't, it doesn't seem possible that 10, 15, 20,000 people are going to be able to find food on their way home. The disciples can't come up with the money on this spot. The disciples can't just all of a sudden be like really godly just because they have it in them. And what we see is that Jesus provides by supplying his power. He does provide a miracle. Look at verses 39 and 40. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So Jesus has everyone sit down on the green grass in groups. And then look at verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus praises God the Father for the provision of food, and then he performs this incredible miracle. And as he's performing it, he then tasks his disciples with distributing the food to all of these needy people. Look at verse 42 to 44. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. These people eat until they are completely and totally satisfied. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus abundantly supplies and meets the needs through his power. He's not just a God of compassion. He is a God of power. His power supplies. He miraculously supplies the lacking and needed resources, but you realize that he's doing something else too. Remember the disciples lacked the needed ministry, mindset, and heart. And what's Jesus doing for them? Well, one, he's setting them this incredible example. But he's also powerfully working to produce change in them. And as we continue through the book of Mark, we'll see that that is going to be an arduous and often extremely slow process. But a miracle nonetheless. His power always supplies what we need, even the grace, including the grace to change. You realize how incredible of a miracle God's grace is in your life? Five years ago, I purchased an air compressor so that I could do some suspension work on my truck. And I've since decided since purchasing that, I I didn't buy a particularly expensive one, but it was a good size one. And uh, since I purchased that, I've decided I think this is the best tool I have ever bought. And the reason I thought that, well, I love it, but the reason I love it, it can do things in an instant that I literally cannot do. For example, 
One day I was replacing a set of brakes and there was this bolt holding uh, the rotor on in place. And I was using hand tools and I had tried everything. It wasn't even a big bolt, but it was seized on there so bad. And I had been uh, torquing on wrenches. I had grabbed a rubber mallet and I was beating wrenches. I was beating the rotors. Just They just not would not move. I sprayed liquid um, wrench all over the bolt. And if you've had this experience, you're like, this bolt should take like 20 seconds or less to get out. And I've been here for an hour and a half. Like, this is just stupid. Like, I don't, why am I even doing this? And I was so frustrated that I couldn't break it free. And then it dawned on me, you know, maybe I'm looking in all the wrong places here. And I thought, well, what about my air compressor? I hadn't really thought of it for this job, but I wonder if it could do it. And so I hooked up my impact wrench to the hose, and I grabbed it, put it up on the bolt, and went, and it was off. I I love this tool. This is amazing. But I also felt a little bit stupid. You know, here I was for however long. Why didn't I think of that an hour and a half ago? I don't know how long it was, but it felt like an hour and a half. Sometimes our eyes see the need, and they see the problem, but they never actually see the solution. They never actually see Jesus or think, you know, I think Jesus is the answer to this need right here, right now in my life. He's not simply a God of compassion. He is a God of power. And he can meet your need, whether that need is practical. These people need food. Or whether the need is spiritual. These disciples need change within. His power supplies. The thing that you that you need provided, Jesus can provide it. And the besetting sin that's plaguing you, that you're like, I don't know if I can ever change in this area. I don't know if I can ever win here in this space. Jesus can give you victory over it. And the major character and heart deficiencies in your life, Jesus can change you. Jesus called the disciples to do things that in themselves they had no capacity or power or resources to, to achieve and do. One person said that Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? The disciples complain about what they lack and Jesus focuses on what they possess. Jesus sees possibilities where the disciples see only impossibilities. And the explanation, God can multiply even the smallest gifts if if they're made available to him. And the disciples are like, we can't do it. Christ will often call you to serve in ways that you don't feel like you have the capacity, you don't have the power for. You might feel like you don't have what's needed within you to fulfill the task, and maybe the truth of the matter is you don't. And at times, you and I, we can think of a number of reasons not to help. We're too busy. I helped last time. I'm too tired. Uh, Sometimes we decline ministry opportunity and we excuse ourselves saying, I don't know how. I don't know that I have that ability. It's beyond me. And we see in a text like this that Jesus shows himself strong in weakness and he provides the power and grace to serve. This is not about us, it's about him. Jesus' refreshing presence. Let's just put this all together in in an equation. If we take Jesus' refreshing presence plus his overflowing compassion plus his shepherding truth uh, plus his supplying power, what does that equal? Everything you need. Jesus' refreshing presence plus his overflowing compassion plus his shepherding truth plus his supplying power. What does that equal? Everything you need. Jesus has given you in himself. 
everything that you need. And there's nowhere that that's more true than in the gospel itself. We are needy people. We are sinful people. We are self-destructing people who because of our sin deserve the eternal condemnation and judgment of God in hell for eternity. And what is God like? Well, we could just focus on two things about God for a moment that we've already looked at. He's a God overflowing in compassion. God's creation, people who are on their way to hell, deserving eternal judgment, and God sees people like that and he goes, I care. And in his power and love and compassion, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die in our place on the cross and satisfy God's wrath and rise again. So that if we're willing to repent and believe, we could have eternal life. That is God's power and compassion at work. I think today, with it being Mother's Day, you think about every single point that we've looked at, and maybe you sit here as a mother and you probably do feel needy. I'm tired. I'm weary. And Jesus has provided an answer to that, and it's his presence. Um, and you may feel like, man, I, I'm... Sometimes I feel like I live this life that I don't know that anybody really sees, but God does. And you struggle maybe with the sin in your own life. Man, I'm not a very good at this mom thing. I just lost it with the kids, or I wasn't there for them for this or that or whatever. And you have a God who is powerful enough to keep transforming you, keep giving you the grace, keep giving you the help, and he's given you his word to guide and direct you. It's true for mothers. These things are true for all of us. I'm struck in this passage by Jesus' care for the whole person. He cares for the physical and practical needs of your life, and he also cares about your spiritual needs. And his compassion and his power and all these other things that we've seen make him perfectly suited to minister to your entire being. So as we conclude, I want to ask this question. What needs did you come in here with today? I know that you have them because we all do. What needs did you come in here with today? Do you realize that Jesus is the answer to every single one of those? Would you bow your head?